0: What we see, and what we seem, are but a dream, a dream within a dream. You must learn to love someone else apart from me, Sarah. I won't be here much longer. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick?
1: Suck
2: my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. And I'm Matt. And this is episode number 65, Picnic at Hanging Rock. People are like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, after a just monumental comeback to the podcasting world, uh, for us, you know, we hit you, boom, boom, boom! Three big, heavy hitter down. episodes, yeah. fan favorites, if you will. Now it's time to class it up a little bit. Uh, take a little trip through film school or the Criterion Collection, whatever, however you want to phrase it. I think from time to time, this podcast can be kind of seen as educational. Yeah. To the movie illiterates For who, out there.
3: I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the ash clowns. Right. We should be able to have some fun with this one, though too.
2: well, I would hope that all of our episodes are fun. well, you would hope that, but <laughs> well, if we have there, fun then. with this one, it would be a first for us so <laughs> <laughs> uh follow the show on Twitter at greatest pod make sure you're you're subscribed to the show on iTunes or uh podbean, whatever um continue to. Uh, spread the gospel if you will (laughs) to your friends the gospel according to creep (laughs) and uh whatnot um so the big announcement (laughs) for (laughs) oh there's a big announcement yeah saying everyone's there's been a lot of internet buzz about uh, i'll tell you what
3: you really sell everything like well (laughs) because people are always asking me like What's going on with the show? Like, what's coming? What are all the surprises and stuff? And I'm like,
2: I don't nothing. The surprise is usually just whatever the next episode yeah. is in my head. Well, I'm yeah. thinking this is going to be great. But people really
3: like buy into like, wow, we are in store for something great.
2: <laughs> and then it never happens. Yeah. it's the old bait and switch. It's picnic at Hanging Rock. The mystery well, remains unsolved. In all fairness, I don't think I said get ready for something big. <laughs> At I, the end of the Twin Peaks thing that we just posted. No, but so, no one's heard that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Well, no one's heard any of our episodes, All really. Right. They just download them and be nice. Yeah. Um, so the big announcement, you know, from time to time since we've started the show, we've gotten some requests for specific episodes, um, usually just rejected outright by me. Right. Um, <laughs> even though I think from time to time we would say... Yeah, let us know what what you want us to do, and then we would just say no to pretty much anything. Yeah, uh, basically, you know, we have ten million Blu rays at our disposal <laughs> right now, plus Hulu, whatever, Netflix, HBO, bullshit. Showtime. We have so many things right now. So you know, it kind of feels weird if somebody suggests something that we don't have access to, and then we're like, well, we already have all this other stuff we're trying to get through. Yeah, but and any- if we don't own it, we'll probably buy it. Eventually. At some point yes. in this calendar year. My hope is to own every film ever released <laughs> by the end of 2017. Uh, and then make a list ranking them. <laughs> so, the big announcement is for our super fans, like the top ass clowns, which is basically anybody listening to this, Yeah, you really. know who you are. Yeah, I mean, believe me, we don't have more than like three or four listeners, you probably. But like... Those three or four listeners, we love you. Very dedicated. The (laughs) people that talk to me after every
3: episode or text me like little quotes from it, you qualify.
2: Yes. So what we're going to do is – and this isn't going to be like an immediate turnaround, so don't get too excited. But (laughs) over the course of the next couple of months, few months, however many it takes, probably like once a month, we're going to do one – listener request episode <laughs> as like he kind of
3: with pain in his voice
2: no but i'm trying to explain it like okay. it's still going to count as an episode we're going to call it episode number whatever and it'll be normal but it, it, it it's it's bonus in the sense that we're still going to stick to our regular uh, our regularly scheduled plan which has been you know written down all the way through january 2023 <laughs> and we, be like- we're all locked up into that but we will add in your List of requests. Is
3: there, like, full disclosure? Like, the ass clown of choice gets, like, mentioned by name? Like, this week we're doing Armageddon maybe. because at as Balls.
2: <laughs> uh, maybe. I, I think, like, those kind of details, you know, we'll they have can to be worked out. Yeah. But um, I think at this AKA point... We don't want to commit. No, I'm, n- I'm not going to say... Okay, here's a couple of okay. caveats yeah. to it. Land One... On unless it's something really fucking great i'm going to say movies only yeah for these listener requests cuz i mean the tv stuff I, you're asking a lot we're still going to be doing tv from time to time but it's going to be really scaled and back like if you want us to watch like a whole season of no, forget show, it yeah. it's not happening <laughs> no. we barely have enough time to get it together right. for what we're doing um that's number 1 and number 2 we're going to try to accommodate any movie but if it's not something that is like easily accessible for us we may have to veto it not that like I'm going to I'm not going to say we're going to veto things just if we don't like the movie or anything like that but if it's just it, it needs to be relatively simple affordable whatever for us to to be able to watch it and then do the episode on it. So, like, if we don't have it here in our studios, or it's not streaming somewhere, then it—I mean—it has to be something we can get either cheaply or that I would be willing to buy because I don't own it yet on Blu-ray or something. You know, which like, there's a lot of candidates. Well, for yeah, that. but you know, I'm—I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, like, don't think <laughs> like necessarily like any movie ever is is on the table because that's not realistic. If, but most uh, of them are. Most are. Yeah. Most are, but there there could be some vetoes if need be. Yeah. Um, any, maybe you'll get a second chance to pick something.
3: Well, yeah. We because might even be like, are you sure you want to pick that?
2: <laughs> well, no, we would probably just be like, no. Pick something else. <laughs> usually <laughs> usually, what I say to that? you anytime, that's a no. any, anytime I'm like, well, what Blu-ray are we going to watch? And then you have to be like, all right. Well, <laughs> this is what I was gonna say, but <laughs> here's some other choices too. Right. Uh, in fact, you know, our subject matter of the day. You wanted to watch uh, the Friends of Eddie Coyle, I believe, and I was, and I just was like, no, I think we're gonna watch Picnic and Hanging Rock yeah, tonight. I was wrong. This is a good pick. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so as far as getting your submissions in for that, uh, just contact us in the usual ways. That you may contact either of us if you have our cell phone numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't talk to either of us that much and you happen to be a, a secret listener, please. Secret <laughs> listeners. <laughs> it's a secret. I feel like there's All a few. Our listeners are secret listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a few secret listeners yeah. out there. Believe me, we're monitoring those downloads. Oh, we yeah. know when there's a secret download yeah. <laughs> <laughs> happening. <laughs> So, yeah, then you can contact us. Uh, you can create a fake Twitter account if you don't want to be <laughs> known. <laughs> and tweet at greatest yeah. pod. Uh We'd be thrilled to have a secret. Uh, oh, I would agree with that, yeah. So, to our ass clown that had suggested uh, a f- movie choice to me recently, we can accommodate that choice if that's what you want to go with. This was before this was like a big-time special offer. Yeah, so you don't have to R- This is committed. a one-time thing, though, folks. We got a lot of other shit we got to get to on our yeah, schedule. Yeah, the list is infinite. endless. Yeah. yeah, there's an infinite list. So <laughs> realistically, if you suggest something to us, you're just bumping it up the list because it's probably on one of the extended lists already. <laughs> yeah, it's probably on a list that ended up in the trash at some point. Either that or the list of... <laughs> I've, I've made lists ones will never do. <laughs> <laughs> and then just written down probably what's mostly you're going to pick. All right, so I think that about wraps up the uh, behind-the-scenes business for our show. So the version of
3: Picnic at Hanging Rock we'll be discussing is the Criterion Collection Blu-ray release complete with the novel.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's its its own little box set. Which we each own now. <laughs> we got two copies of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I believe the... I I could be wrong, but based off of um, the Wikipedia plot synopsis, I, I feel like we're watching the director's cut version, which is actually shorter. Oh, it's actually a director's cut version where the, he cut seven minutes out. Yeah, he was like this too much because there's something specific in that Wikipedia plot synopsis that doesn't happen in the version that we've watched. Okay, it's
3: probably hard for me to
2: remember. There's a few characters that. I don't even understand their purpose, really. Okay, so, well, let's get into it. Uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock is a 1975 Australian film from director Peter Weir. That's right, folks. 1975
3: Australian film. (laughs) (laughs) Right up, this is like... (laughs) This is right up everybody's alley. This
2: is a fan favorite, if you will. Um, Now, Peter Weir would go on to a pretty big uh, career as a Hollywood director. A random
3: kind of filmography, really.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, some of his bigger films were like uh, Witness, starring Harrison Ford, which probably came out about, I don't know, six, seven, eight years after this one. Um, uh, the Truman Show. Yeah. Comes to mind. I can't remember the other one. It's there not important. There was something important. else, too. Yeah, I mean, so a pretty, he would go on to, to kind of be a more mainstream Hollywood director after starting as a more um, grassroots, independent Australian filmmaker. Now, he hadn't really done much uh, before this film, um, but... How did
3: this come to be? Was he approached about adapting the novel, or...?
2: Yeah, I believe... uh, I can't remember. I think somebody had read the novel that it's based on and obviously probably one of the people that went on to produce the film, and they had seen a film that he made called The Cars That Ate Paris or something like that. Mm. And for some reason thought he would be the right director for this material. I don't really know what that other film was (laughs) or why they would uh, think that. But The lady that wrote the novel
3: was somewhat involved with the movie, right? She was on set or something? Or did he just talk about it? Yeah, to I mean she it? actually
2: owned all of the rights to the novel. Uh so as far as licensing it out to be made into a film, she had a lot of um control and say over, you know, what what the script was gonna be like and who the director was was gonna be and stuff like that. Okay, so for people who haven't seen the film, I'm sure, you know, they're kind of Like, yeah, who cares? Who cares about this shit? We don't even know what this is. Right, right. All right, so Picnic at Hanging Rock is basically like a dreamlike mystery film um, centering around uh, the disappearance of several schoolgirls and one of their teachers during a picnic at Hanging Rock Victoria, which is a real place in Australia, on Valentine's Day – in the year nineteen hundred, and then kind of that takes place. Pr- I mean, that probably takes place within like the first third of the film, yeah. and then the following two thirds is basically like the fallout the
3: aftermath.
2: Yeah, the effect on the local community, the the rest of the school. Now,
3: say like right away, everyone else, me getting sucked in and. You know, I'm sure everyone at this point is just like, enough with you guys with Twin Peaks. I know you guys like Twin Peaks, but it, <laughs> I just, I don't know, like you are kind of seeing something where you're like, oh, I think there's like some, some influence here.
2: Yeah, because basically this film, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. Early screenings of the film were kind of, you know, this very contentious thing amongst some of the audiences because a lot of people would be like what the fuck at the end yeah, of the yeah. film and 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 be like I just wasted 2 hours of my life with this shit and there's no resolution it's like what they kind of set out to accomplish here is kind of creating a mystery but th- the point of the film is not to solve the mystery yeah it's not to like come up with a clever ending and then work your way backwards to make the film it's it's more about the atmosphere of that mystery and then there's Lots of kind of almost literary allusions and things that you can read into And like where your what's mind happening. can
3: spin with the details that you are given.
2: Right. It's like it is very similar to Twin Peaks or um, even because like I know like Damon Lindelof. Yeah, get Lost a little w- bit. With like Lost and uh, uh, the, the Leftovers, leftovers. He's, he kind of cites this as a big influence. Um, it kind of sets some things out and it's more about the... The possibility, and for rather people than who are answer. like
3: lost, oh no! Think like the beginning of Lost, where <laughs> you're first, oh no, where you're first being kind of introduced to all these like weird little plot points, and you're like, well, what? Why is there a tiger or whatever? Polar bear? <laughs> oh, yeah, polar yeah, bear. yeah, I will say this: there's
2: nothing l- quite as ridiculous as a smoke monster <laughs> yeah. or polar bear in this. Film. Right. In fact, on the surface, there isn't anything necessarily supernatural about this film at all, yet. You could you feel definitely like you feel like that there, is though. a possibility. One thing to keep in mind uh, as we go through this is uh, Valentine's Day falls in, in February, which is the summer, the peak oh, of summer right, yeah, in yeah. Australia. So basically, we're introduced to the the uh, some of these uh, girls at this private girls' school called Appleyard College in the town of Woodend, which Victoria. Which that's the
3: name of like
2: one of the. Yeah, that's mistress Lady. Yeah, right? that's yeah. the lady that runs yeah, yeah. it. Um who's a prominent character. And like right away we're kind of seeing these we're seeing these girls kind of um in their uh bed clothes and like nightgowns kind of thing and they're kind of there's kind of this chaste like feeling to it but they're like laughing and carrying on and getting ready and they're kind of reading valentines poems out loud to each other. And there's kind of, right away, there's like a striking shot over the shoulder of a diagonal shot of like three girls uh, tightening their corsets on the one in front of them. And it's like, that right there is kind of like symbolic of a lot of what is going on underneath the surface in this film. It's kind of this restrained, uh, repressed female sexuality that kind of like bubbles to the surface. And it's like... The idea that they go on this school trip out in the middle of the outback to this fucking rock in what has to be like 90 plus degree weather wearing (laughs) fucking corsets (laughs) and long sleeve like petticoats and all this bullshit like (laughs) that was like it's, you know, if you allow yourself to get into the mindset of how absurd that is, you can understand kind of what is going on in this film what is kind of central to the idea of these certain girls from their group kind of ascending to this different level and disappearing from their peer group. Um, it's You can definitely read a lot into what is actually being said through the story of these girls, their sudden and mysterious disappearance that never gets resolved. It's like... Right away... Spoiler. We kind <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think by saying that people were flipping out about yeah, the end yeah. of this film <laughs> so right away we're kind of introduced to uh miranda who you would say she pops on screen yeah she uh is played by an actress named Anne louise lambert um she's kind of the center of this film she's the sun the
3: center of everyone's lives yeah really. basically <laughs> she is
2: the sun to which we all revolve <laughs> yeah. around including uh Specifically, Sarah. yeah, Sarah, one of the girls at the school who is got this schoolgirl crush on her friend Miranda. It's it's never overtly sexual. There's not really much overt sexuality in the film, other than like a brief uh, Jackie Weaver. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, Be- oh, <laughs> Jackie Weaver that, plays like a maid, and she's I love in bed that. with that guy.
3: Now Jackie Weaver, I like. We both spotted her name in the credits, and then from then on. To the part that we actually see or we're like, is this Jackie Weaver? Now, it could have been anyone from one of the schoolgirls to, like, one of the
2: teachers. Like, we had no idea how to gauge how old she was. <laughs> when, when this movie yeah. came out and what she might have looked right. like in 1975. And were, when
3: we saw her, we we're like, oh, yeah, she just looks
2: like a younger version <laughs> of now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, what were we saying? Okay, Miranda is like... She's got this like angelic, ethereal, ghost-like thing to her, but she's also extraordinarily beautiful. And she, as is stated by Sarah later in the film uh, after the disappearance, uh, she tells one of the teachers that Miranda seemed to know things that other girls didn't know.
3: Yeah, she's cool. Which, of course,
2: again, is like another kind of clue that you could read into about what is happening here in this film. Um, I think a lot of people kind of interpret their disappearance as kind of like a sexual awakening, as yeah. as in they are leaving childhood and sh- they're leaving their friends behind because they're breaking free from this kind of repressed.
3: Well, I'll say this: I, I read this in the Wikipedia that Sofia Coppola was very inspired by this movie for Virgin Suicides, and I remember thinking that during the movie, it does have that. Oh yeah, feel like people. Who are loosely connected, just having such a reaction to this.
2: Well, yeah, it's got like a soft, hazy, dream-like yeah. quality. But these girls, specifically Miranda, becomes like such a focal point. Not unlike the girls, you know, in the film, version, right. Suicides, to which, you know, the, those that group of neighborhood boys is obsessed with. So... After these girls are getting ready and reading their poetry and their Valentine's cards, the group prepares for a picnic to a local geological formation known as Hanging Rock. Uh, a couple of their teachers, including uh, Miss McGraw, a lot of like Mademoiselles. and Mademoiselle <laughs> de Poitiers, who who is young One of them's and beautiful, like, smoking hot. Yeah, that's her. <laughs> that her? Yeah, um, uh, the stern headmistress, Miss Appleyard. Uh, she kind of forbids sarah from attending so this kind of sets up this like longing distance between her and yeah, miranda yeah. right from the start
3: very uh obsessive but there's an innocence to her obsession
2: right i mean she definitely she she has like she's
3: just crushed she can't spend the day with miranda. <laughs> yeah she
2: has a crush on miranda but it's not like she's you know Trying to like <laughs> finger bang Miranda yeah, in their yeah. dorm room or anything or or anything it's not sexual really at all. It's kind of like this pure yeah kind of love and adoration that she would likely grow out of i don't I don't really think that the idea here is that Sarah is like a lesbian
3: or a psychopath.
2: No, I think this is a completely harmless and normal thing because you have to remember these are all girls that are going through puberty together. And there's no one else around. That's yeah, kind of yeah. the whole thing. This is like this isolation. So not only are they repressed under societal norms of the time of like 1900 and like the clothes they have to wear and the way they have to act and the things they have to do, but there's really, other than some adults like gardeners and fucking bullshit like carriage that, there's really drivers. No men. Yeah. yeah, and the carriage driver is about a thousand years old. I mean, it's <laughs> not like... You know, there's a lot of men to lust over or to think about or it's dream like, about. It's so vi- it's, it's like
3: the beguiled.
2: Yeah, and it's very normal, I think, for uh, same-sex crushes to exist at this age without it really being like a gay, straight kind of thing.
3: Miss Appleyard cuts the leg off of uh, the carriage driver. <laughs> <laughs> so, So I have a question. When they get to Hanging Rock, there's that other group of people that are hanging out. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, that's like kind What's of a deal? um uh that's just some that's just some people having lunch uh like the colonel and yeah, his yeah. uh his wife and then they're with a valet Albert right. and the colonel's uh nephew Michael who are kind of just hanging around. Yep, yep. They're
3: basically just out. They're just having a picnic at Hanging Rock Yeah, as th- well. I think
2: they kind of live closer to the area though. Because one of the things that is interesting is that Miss Appleyard and um Miss McGraw who's on the trip and the driver of the buggy, the buggy operator. They all <laughs> <That's> <laughs> if the title? you will, They all kind of reference how dangerous this place is. Uh they talk about the poisonous snakes. Australia is horrible. Yeah. And this is Don't out <laughs> in the kind of unincorporated areas. I mean this is just out in the wild yeah. basically. And this is back in like 1900. I think Hanging Rock now is like kind of like a protected national forest-type place. Right. But this is just like... The girls were just devoured by some sort of mutant poisonous plant. Well, I think the idea is that, like, what are, the, what are they saying about society and about what, you know, theoretical dangers may await, like, the innocent young virgins that are all assembled out into this wilderness? Because I think there is, like, this recurring theme that I keep coming back to. It's like... These girls are so inexperienced and repressed under the oh. the, the, the expectations oh, of the society they're in.
3: Definitely adventure seeking here. I mean, they're kind of there's definitely a rebellion in this.
2: Well, yeah, sequence and where they run off. Well, they, well, no, because I mean, Miranda does ask permission. That's true. They do yeah. get permission, but yeah, the idea is Miranda, as Sarah later points out, and as I already mentioned, she knew things that the others didn't. She there's this idea that. She's kind of had her awakening already, and she's going she's to take. <laughs> Sarah Miranda's woke, and she's going to bring some of these other girls with her. Um, so basically, they're just kind of hanging around, and it, it, you, you do wonder, like, why did they come out here? Because it's basically they just sit around, they eat some cake, and then the ca- you know the cake is shown getting like ants on it and shit, and then like Ugh. they're basically just sitting there in the hot sun doing nothing. they're just like, wow, this is some field trip. But the kind of, the first kind of like semi-supernatural thing occurs like when um, the buggy operator and Miss McGraw, both of their watches stop at 12 noon. Oh, right, yeah. And it's kind of like this. It's just like one
3: of those things that's just kind of like subtly
2: weird. Like,
3: (laughs) you're just like, what?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so then at some point. They ask permission of Mademoiselle de Poitiers to explore Hanging Rock and, quote, take measurements, which I'm not really sure what that (laughs) means. Uh, And then so it's like Miranda, Marion, and Irma. You can't come up with a better hobby. And then a kind of homely-looking young woman named Edith is allowed to come with them, although she complains the entire time that she's with them. Uh, Yeah. And... They kind of just start.
3: Well, yeah, that part was kind of confusing to me on first viewing. Like, th- Wait, it's four girls that end up going? A re- yeah. Right. But one of them is not really connected to the other three, right? Is that? What do you mean? I don't know. I was getting like a weird vibe from the one. She's not connected to them? I don't know. She seems like not part of their, like the other three seem like more of a normal group.
2: Well, yeah. I she mean-
3: stands apart a little
2: bit. Yeah, Well, I think it is, she's kind of tagging along. I don't. Yeah. I, I think the school is so small. They're all pretty like, tight. It's Yeah, there's not really like there's a whole... There's not clicks. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are a little bit, but it's like, there, how many girls even go on this trip? We're not total? getting the day-to-day here. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're just getting a snapshot. Yeah, yeah. Time. Um, so the girls kind of like venture out and sort of sending this hanging rock thing. And it, it's kind of like... It is very similar to some of the the David Lynch films and projects because it's like this foreboding music starts building and you're not really sure what's happening and there's this loud, like, you know, we're watching it with a fucking sound bar and there's like this reverberation (laughs) going on and you're like, what is this? And it seems like there's kind of this pulsating from the center of this giant rock that they're climbing and all of a sudden, you know, the way that it's filmed, you kind of start to see faces within the rock and the girls almost immediately kind of start to f- almost fall under the spell of like, and kind as of, a viewer, you're like,
3: what the fuck is going on? Like,
2: it's yeah. It's almost like they've kind of lost control over their faculties. Like they're no longer choosing to walk up. This this, this part, rock. I kind of w- l- wish they left this more to mystery a little bit.
3: <laughs> this, this part of it, I didn't think played particularly great. Well, what, what do you mean? Just that like, they do just kind of, like, are like, okay, I'm just going to lay down on this rock. And well, yeah, well, no,
2: the weird part of that is how they all kind of lay down almost without – they don't say anything. But right, just right. The four of them just lay down, like, at the same time. Yeah. It's very bizarre. It's mm-hmm. kind of unsettling, really. But before all this, they kind of pass that Michael and Albert. Oh, like, this is an important part, yeah. <laughs> and this, this kind of – this is like the only real time that Michael kind of gets this glimpse of Miranda, a girl who will go on to haunt his yeah. dreams and waking life seemingly for an There's indeterminate th- amount of time.
3: A couple of parts in this movie that stood out to me were like kind of like the camera is being used in like a unique way where, well, it's really two parts that stand out to me, and one of them is this first part where the two dudes are kind of getting a glimpse of these girls running off into the woods and they decide to kind of casually follow them and keep an eye on them. But like the camera. Well, I don't even really, know if they follow them
2: at this point. Oh, They just kind of watch them yeah, pass. Just,
3: but the one part where Miranda just very innocently jumps over a puddle. And I mean, it basically, I don't know if it's Michael. Is it Michael? Or Albert,
2: which what do you? Do? The
3: one that has this profound reaction to. Oh, see. Michael.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Albert's the one who makes kind of a crude. Yeah. But commentary, the, not really. It's but like crude the camera
3: is used in a way where it's like time is stopping for Michael when he's well, having yeah, this yeah, yeah. reaction. There's a couple of.
2: Yeah, yeah. This, uh, and it, they they kind of talk about this on some some of the supplemental features on the Criterion Blu-ray about like the use of kind of this slowed yes effect it's kind of like slow motion but it's it's not quite the same but it's like and i
3: thought it was super effective for this part in particular because it's like you're like there is just something to wow he just kind of catches a glimpse of her leg and it's like not even bare right it's like her she's got no it's like it is
2: like the kind of like the the joke of like um you know like an amish woman showing skin is just like lifting her yeah. dress like a little bit so you see like a flash of her ankle and it's kind of like that just
3: something that rings true about it though like the innocence but just being overcome by like holy shit and then he's just like he is like stuck with her on his mind yeah, after that
2: you know because albert's over there like you know kind of commenting on all of them and how each one's like a beauty because, like, Irma is <laughs> Albert is pretty as well. I mean, a lot. God damn it. This fucking school is. Logo no joke. Talent. <laughs> yeah, I mean. No, I mean. I'm no, gr- kidding, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Nervous laughter. Oh, no. No, I mean, all right. Yeah. Okay. So these girls are young, obviously. But, I mean, they're there's a lot of beauties amongst them i think this girl that played miranda was 20 at the time so i'm not sweating it (laughs) but like no my point is like you know albert's like one by one because like irma's very pretty too but then he goes and this blonde one and she's the last one miranda and he's just like going nuts over her and all he really says is like i bet she has a decent pair of legs (laughs) and that's really all he says but like michael's like oh my god like dude yeah don't be don't be crude gentleman i mean and that's i guess like you know the 1900 equivalent of some of the things that me and you might say off mic it's like you
3: nailed (laughs) it right it's like michael reacting and you kind of made a joke about it where it's just like well sometimes that's all it takes when he's yeah and it's like but yeah there is something that's is so true about that when you're like a young dude and like something hits you like that and you are just like i don't know drunk with the emotion over
2: it yeah and they it's ca- like. how does one even handle they ended up with the perfect girl to play miranda um who's who's insanely beautiful but it's more than just her beauty because she's kind of got this special something to her looks where she kind of because like, later in the film i don't film, know what yeah, and later in the film she appears as like a dream or like a vision to Michael and even other characters at times. And it's kind of like this ghost-like beauty to her where there's kind of a combination of like worldly knowledge and also kind of subtle sadness to her look. And it's it just kind of works perfectly. And originally they had someone else cast in that role and it just like wasn't clicking right. And they had this other girl and lambert around and and they were like yeah she's the one and like when you watch some of these bonus features on the blu-ray it's like everyone kind of has the same thoughts like the, the other it's actresses kind of meta, yeah yeah the producers it's the, the director the and the people in real life yeah, everyone was like yeah she's the one like, we need this is more it. scenes with her and you know Kind of props to the other girl. She agreed to still be in the film. I'm not really sure which one she is, but she's still one of the students in it. Like, she basically had the most important role and then got reduced to nothing. Yeah, that was kind of a bummer. It's a bummer. That's how it is. Hey, Hey. Eric Stoltz was Marty McFly. Right. All right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At one point. So, after they pass uh, Michael and Albert, that's like when the group kind of lies on the ground and they're like in this weird daze. You kind of see Miss McGraw, who's like this older, kind of buttoned down, weird, conservative, kind of bitchy teacher. (laughs) She is staring up at the rock. Uh, You know, suddenly we kind of go back and then Miranda, Marion and Irma awake and move. And all of a sudden they kind of just in a single line formation, just kind of disappear into a, like a crevice between two big rocks as they continue to ascend edith who's kind of come along unwillingly and has complained of everything the entire time <laughs> she just suddenly screams and flees down the rock and it's kind of this you know the musical cue and like the way that the camera's kind of oh, vibrating yeah. like and going back the, you're like what is going on like this is crazy and that's the last that anyone will see of miranda and marion and you know, spoiler alert. For now, Irma <laughs> Irma will pop up again later, and then now, yeah. So we kind of at that point cut back basically to the, the girls returning back to the oh, school. Yeah, yeah. Like um, Mademoiselle de Poitiers has to explain to this. Yeah, we lost these kids, but we evil, didn't know what uh, we did to do, so we just came back. Well, the the first thing is like she's like the. Headmistress is like, "Well, where's Miss McCraw?" And beats me. Madam was uh, this mademoiselle who's youngest, <laughs> what is, what you who mean, looks who's you? probably the actress was probably like the same age as the one that played Miranda is like, "Uh, we had to leave her because we couldn't find her." <laughs> <laughs> because what we didn't know yet at, to that point is All right, girls, that time for bed. This insanely weird conservative mean teacher, she disappears up the mountain too after like but not It's never done under the guise of, like, she went looking specifically for the girls. It's just she wandered off at one point, and then we don't know where she went.
3: Now, is she the... What is the deal where they thought they saw someone in their underwear? Is that her? Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, Edith explains later to a policeman and to Mademoiselle de Poitiers. like... (laughs) I know that I'm saying that probably wrong. I'm just (laughs) taking that as, like, the actor Sidney Poitier (laughs) or something. I don't know where I'm getting that. But, like... She basically, Edith is like when she was running back down the mountain in a panic, she says that she saw Miss McGraw basically in her bloomers or whatever they're calling oh. them. Like, it's unclear if she's wearing a top. Like, what's that? Like, I got, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this old bitch is topless. <laughs> like, yeah, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> but I, don't, I, I wasn't sure if that just meant she was missing her skirt and she still had like her, those ridiculously long and crazy undergarments. They, like a slip. It's a lot more than that. Yeah, I don't know, but she was missing. She was obviously missing some of her uh, articles of clothing, unexplained, and is wandering up the mountain. Or it's not a mountain, whatever according this, to Edith, though. Right, but why? I mean, that seems weird that she would make that up. Well, yeah. Um, and so all of these search parties, um, the townspeople, the school—it becomes like this kind of crazy thing that eventually, like, catches fire and goes national and even world news of the time. I mean, I, I, it seems insane how news would have traveled back in the year 1900, but whatever. And nobody can find a trace or a clue as to what happened to these girls. Like, it's kind of just, you know, what the fuck? And, of course, Sarah, <laughs> who had been left behind, and... All the- Sarah is just inconsolable. Yeah, well, if I had been there... The great... One of the great shots of the film really is once the kind of the news is delivered to Miss Appleyard that oh yeah, Miss McCraw disappeared and then there's this panic and all of the girls and the buggy driver and all these people they get out and they're all rushing back into this like school building. Sarah kind of who wasn't on the trip comes wandering down and is looking at the buggy that they were all just in and then looking back at the group and looking at the buggy and it's it's like like... dawning on her that Miranda's not with her.
3: And it's just like uh, in the first episode of Twin Peaks when Donna's looking around the classroom and like, oh the yeah, girl screams and runs by, and Donna's looking around and no one's sitting at Laura's desk. The cops <laughs> are talking. Ah, yeah, it's upsetting. Um,
2: so your heart really goes out to Sarah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, what you know, it goes out to ourselves too because <laughs> we're we're also experiencing right. that loss. <laughs> um, so the police find nothing and. Michael is questioned, and he he does reveal that he watched the schoolgirls, but he can't really give them anything. He didn't – because in, in truth, he did just kind of see them for a second. Yeah, yeah that's true. And they- we don't know beyond that, but he does become obsessed with finding Miranda, and he kind of goes back up onto Hanging Rock to conduct his own, like, and search. And Albert- doesn't go with
3: him but he's aware that he's going right well no they, he does go with him but oh he then stops he, but yeah. then
2: he's like all right we gotta go and enough then, and michael's like no i'm gonna stay overnight yeah, i'm gonna stay overnight <laughs> <laughs> we've all been there yeah. we're, we're we're pushing way too hard for something and, and, and our friend is usually just like what is going on yeah. here <laughs> like they're not getting it they're like you don't understand no i'm this staying is everything i'm staying <laughs> It's like in Wedding Crashers, you know, yeah. like where they have to they have to follow them back to the oh right after wedding <laughs> thing on the island or whatever. It's just like this. It's like all right, we gotta wrap this up. Yeah. He's like no, I'm <laughs> Come staying. On. This chase can't go on forever. So Michael stays and and he's leaving. He's leaving like a trail of paper, I guess, f- to find his way back down. Paper. Although from like a distance and from our perspective as viewers. Uh, Hanging Rock doesn't seem particularly huge. That's like the crazy see like one spot of it. F- that, that's kind of like the crazy like frustrating thing, though. And you're yeah. Kind where of can like, these
3: girls go? Yeah, and
2: I think whenever we they did just our walked uh, through a
3: little crevice over there, we should be able to find them.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, when we did our Virgin Suicides episode, I think I talked about kind of the infuriating idea that like these girls who were going to be free soon anyway still choose to commit suicide because of the lives that they're trapped in. And that's kind of like the same infuriating feeling about this. It's like there's this should not be as difficult as it is. Like right, where, right. if even if Some they fell party. even if they fell in a hole and broke their legs or died, like we should be able to see them. Like there isn't it, it isn't yeah. an infinite space. It's pretty contained. And then something and just that gone. happens that makes you more infuriated well whatever happened to the girls seems to happen to michael too because albert then follows those paper markers back up the next day and he finds like basically a delirious michael who can't even talk and he looks all messed up
3: now the other shot that i love is what this sequence builds to because it's like weird and it goes on and on but it ends on like a true shock
2: oh when he is going and getting put into the buggy and he hands him yeah well, he hands him something and, it, and it's like albert's clutching it in his his fist and then he opens his hand to reveal like a piece, a piece of, of lace dress or yeah like what? a piece of lace from a dress and so You're like what albert then is like what the fuck he runs up back up hanging rock and this time he discovers irma who yeah, is of the girls unconscious is but alive and this is now we're now days after the initial disappearance, maybe even up to like a week. And ultimately the dis- the discovery of Irma doesn't answer any questions. In no, fact, that's only the thing that pisses you off Only more. creates more right. questions. It's like
3: How did they find her? Where is everyone else? Where did she come from?
2: Yeah. And now, you know, eventually she wakes up and physically she's basically and fine. They're
3: all just the worst
2: witnesses of
3: all time. No one has any information to give. Well, she doesn't remember anything. I know. So
2: whatever happened, she's either
3: blocked it out. But or... hey, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> now Sarah is like, now this kind of I yeah, find out some information from Irma.
2: This kind of like racks up the restlessness going on at the school and in the town yeah. because now everyone kind of expected where that the, the girls fuck's Miranda? We're gonna be dead or found dead, and then all of a sudden they find one of them alive but it's not Miranda. (laughs) They're like, we'll trade four or five of these girls we still have at the school if we can just get Miranda back. Uh, And, you know, eventually Irma wakes up and she is uh, unable to give them anything. And a servant notes that Irma's corset is missing. But one of the people at the house that she's staying at to recover from her dehydration and exposure and everything... Kind of just says, "Oh, well, that's not important." And <laughs> Dehydration, it's just, like, oh, what happened to her? Oh, she's dehydrated. Well, the fact that her
3: corset is missing is bizarre. Yeah, it's. It seems like it implies something sexual too, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, right. Which is what I was talking about at See, the beginning I can of the film.
2: It out. <laughs> it's like, no matter what has happened, symbolically they have shed these girls have shed whatever it was that was restraining them and even Irma who's now come back is no longer the same
3: but again, again, she's
2: now changed
3: they're just throwing some sort of haunting detail at you that kind of makes you think about well what did happen
2: yeah it's a haunting detail in as if, if as if you view this as like a story and that's just a plot point in right. the story and you're like well that what really did happen but as far as like the symbolic nature because that continues in a minute whenever uh, they bring Irma back to the school and she's to then talk and say goodbye to the other girls. And it's like this very insane scene where the other girls kind of go crazy
3: and oh, almost
2: yeah. attack her being it's like "like ravenous.
3: Where the fuck is Miranda? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Basically. I
3: mean, Sarah had to. Well, no, be Sarah,
2: like, See, then you find out what's going on with Sarah. and That's really fucked no, up. No, I know. In that but moment. I, I'm,
3: I'm sure like Sarah had to be like organizing the group of girls behind the scenes and be like, have you guys, the, well, they all kind of know, well, the other girls were like, oh, this is so great. We have Irma back. And Sarah had to start whispering in their ears. Like, well, where the fuck's Miranda? She's not the one we want. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, well, she see like, uh, Edith, who's kind of, you know, this obnoxious oblivious She's character like Barb when they go... from stranger things of this movie. <laughs> How dare you? Barb is an <laughs> angel. Um, When they are on that initial walk, Miranda, Irma, uh, Marion, and Edith, Edith is talking about how she's kind of making fun of Sarah saying, oh, she writes poetry in the Dunny, which I guess is like the toilet. I don't know. The Dunny? Yeah. And kind of almost like puzzlingly, she's like, I th- and they're all about Miranda, but like it's not done in like oh my god lesbian dyke whatever. Like she doesn't. It's almost like she's kind of more confused by Like this. Isn't like, that weird? Like, like like yeah, she doesn't really even equate like anything like, love or sex with, like, these ideas of these poems that Meanwhile, Sarah's writing about Miranda. It's, it's more like just like, well, I don't understand this. The Bibles of poetry that Miranda was inspiring. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> From me, after yeah. <laughs> we watched this. No, like... And Miranda, kind of in her cool, kind of calm way, just kind of, like, brushes off what either says. She's, like, by kind of just saying she's an orphan. Yeah and it kind of just shrugs like heck. why she's my friend or whatever cuz she at one point invites sarah to come meet her family and then kind of does her this is before she they leave on the trip obviously she and she tells sarah that she's going to have to outgrow kind of her childhood cru- like her childhood love or childhood crush yeah, or whatever kind of be, like trying to like gently Let tell her, her like hey this is Nice that you like me this much, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. But like Yeah, so they bring her they bring She's used to having that conversation <laughs> <laughs> to like the fucking eighty year old buggy driver. <laughs> uh okay, so they bring Irma into this room where the girls are doing some absurd like uh gym class, which is not even really gym class, it's just like kind of ballerina stretching or something. I don't I don't know how to explain it. Ballerina stretching. But like the girls are all wearing white. And they were all wearing white when they went to Picnic Hanging Rock. And they're always wearing white, all of them, all of the time. But now Irma is wearing red, bright red. Right. And she stands out like a sore thumb among the other girls. And it's like, you can read into that what you want. You can read into it this just being like a sad fucking period metaphor or something. But it's not because these girls are clearly above that age. Or you could equate red with sex and it's like the idea of like losing your virginity or becoming a woman or almost like a sexual awakening, like understanding sex or something. Whatever it is. But whatever it is, she's now. upsetting. She's separated. (laughs) It's upset the herd. She's different from them. And it's almost like their intense reaction to her is because they're like, tell us, tell us, tell us. And it's like. Are they asking her about what happened? Are they asking her about Miranda? Are they asking her, what do you now know that mm. we don't Poor know? Poor that other girl that's still missing. <laughs> Marion. Yeah. And the teacher. Well, that's true, uh, yeah. And why was the teacher included? I mean, not all... And kind of very much like Twin Peaks or David Lynch movies or things. Not every little thing is is means that everything's going to add up to equal some well, other yeah, I think equation. That there is this weirdness to it. Making
3: it, it just even weirder that like an adult disappeared as well.
2: Yeah. And then as Irma flees, we then pan over and we see that Sarah (laughs) has been strapped to the wall. Oh, to correct her posture. Yeah. That did not make sense to me. I didn't, which was just cause there's that other teacher. The one that had to stay miss Lumley. Who's kind of this sad fucking (laughs) Miss Lumley. Her name is very fitting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And she's kind of like a lapdog for Miss Appleyard, but like... Yeah, it's pathetic. She ends up going to Miss Appleyard and telling her that she's resigning. Because at this point, Miss Appleyard is a mess. Yeah, she's nuts. She sees like her empire crumbling. She's getting drunk because now, not only... Because she even says, like, if you subtract the girls that are missing, plus all of the ones now whose parents want to pull them from the school, we're going to be really fucked. And the (laughs) fact that she's only thinking of the missing girls as you know, a couple of like three future missing payments that are not going to be coming in now. And it's just like bleak. It's at this time that she makes the decision to tell Sarah that her guardian has not paid her tuition in forever and that Sarah has to return to the orphanage. But then she then goes and lies. Which it's like, is the
3: orphanage really that much worse than this oppressive boarding school? Yes, I think in 1900. Yeah. a lot worse You're probably right <laughs> All right
2: it's uh, not the Wayne Foundation uh afterwards then mrs Mrs. Appleyard then goes and lies to Mademoiselle de Poitiers and claims that sarah 's guardian came and collected her that early morning, which then throws the end of the film into even further confusion because uh sarah 's body is then found in the greenhouse. Um, it looks like she's jumped from somewhere up on the on the school building, either like a window or the roof or something, because I think there was like it she'd crashed to the top. It does of the make you think
3: of that the one death in Virgin Suicides.
2: Yeah, and it's like, why did Miss Appleyard make up this lie to tell the other teacher about what happened with Sarah? Because it's like, a did Miss Appleyard know that she had committed suicide? B did Miss Appleyard kill her and now she's lying about it? Like well, isn't It's never really weird? explained why she just makes up this lie. Yeah. Was there some mystery or, or do they make Or was it the lie to cover them? up that she was kicking her out? I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But then everything really just goes to hell because the gardener Mr. Whitehead who was the one that was fucking Jackie Weaver. Oh yeah, yeah. He confronts Mrs. Appleyard who's now just sitting in her office, completely stone faced, calm, st- stoic, wearing a full black morning dress with like a black veil, and her possessions are all packed and around her. And we kind of cut over to Michael and Albert kind of having one final discussion about oh, everything. Yeah. And, and, and Albert, the dreams, reveals that he had a dream in which his lost sister, Sarah, visited him. And now we're supposed to take from that that Sarah, from the girls school was the same Sarah because they were both orphans and everything which is kind of this weird I don't understand that unnecessary <laughs> uh, twist there's also like a couple of scenes where like Michael is like dreaming about Miranda and like she turns into like a swan and all that stuff and then there's a swan in his turned room. into <laughs> And then the very end of the film, we kind of just get a flashback to the picnic scene and we hear in a voiceover that Mrs. Appleyard committed suicide at the base of Hanging Rock. <laughs> had to return to the scene. The search for the missing schoolgirls and Miss McCraw. By what means did she kill herself? Not explained. Mm. The search for the missing unclear. schoolgirls and Miss McCraw continued sporadically for several years without success and that their disappearance remained a mystery. And then that's it.
3: Now this is not based on anything. Real events?
2: No. um, The novel was framed in a way where it kind of implied that this was based off of something real. And then the film kind of followed in those footsteps by also making it seem that way.
3: Well, there's some words in the intro
2: that... Yeah. yeah. The intro was done in a way... Texas Chainsaw Massacre style. Yeah. Well, I think to this point, most films that had things like that were considered to be then real. Right. But if you actually read what they say, at no point does it say that this is real. It yeah, just yeah, kind of yeah. gives this weird uh introduction to the film. And so then it, it, they did that intentionally. Yeah. to make it seem like it was real because they knew it wasn't. But now the uh author of the book um Joan Lindsay, it does seem like this was probably based off of something in her life with kind of everything changed in a way so that it's kind of unrecognizable to whatever the real story may have been it probably didn't happen in 1900 all of the names all of the places and the the general idea and this many people being too. involved yeah it was probably just completely different but it's it seems like it, it sprung from some sort of inspiration uh, based off of people that she knew in her younger years. Because by the time this mov- film came out in 1975, she was um, considerably advanced in age. But I do feel She like was born in uh, 1896, so... This is the... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was pretty old. Although right. she, did, she did go on to live until December of 1984. Oh, good for her. <laughs> so she, she was
3: real job. fucking old. Yeah. <laughs> by uh, the end. I do feel like this is an example of just like... The perfect amount of unknown. Like, because you can definitely get into this world where they start giving you more and more details.
2: And then I think like, a lot of people, though, and a lot of ass clowns might disagree with you. But I yeah. I mean, I agree with you. But I think but why was Unsolved Mysteries such a great show? <laughs> well, I think part of what is going on here is like, OK, if you think of like m- making a film as like art. Yeah. So like, what is the point of the art then? And each film kind of has its own idea or art behind it. And, like, we kind of go grow very accustomed to, like, traditional storytelling as that's the point. Whereas, like, who says that has to be the point? Like, the idea here was to create a mystery and kind of to immerse yourself in that mystery. The point was right. not what happened to these girls, but kind of this feeling and this idea behind it.
3: Well, it's like, why am I so compelled by the fucking Elisa Lam thing? Because it's just like, (laughs) you have this end result, and you have this weird fucking elevator video. And it's just this weird mystery of like, wow, that is fucking chilling. But, I mean, the reality that she was probably just like crazy or on drugs and ends up in this tank... Not so chilling, but when you just take those... Yeah, when you allow your
2: imagination to run away, because it's like, well, were these girls abducted by aliens? Did these girls fall in a hole where they just weren't found? Was there
3: some strange dude lingering in the woods? Well, yeah,
2: was it... Were they um, raped and murdered? Were, at this time, you know, the uh, presence of abori- ab- aborigines, aboriginal people in Australia in film was... A very new thing. There are none in this film. But this was kind of inspired by a uh Nicholas Rogue film. I think it's called Walkabout. Which I think is also. Oh, a isn't criterion. that a criteria yeah. yeah. Which was like the first time that they had actually like put Aboriginal people in a film. And it's like about these white characters who then kind of Interact with one and like travel with one or something, but like that was the that that came that was like actually a big influence on Weir when making this film, and so it's like, well, kind of in a similar way to how films that take place in like pre nineteen hundred America, there's always this idea of like a Native American threat or something, you know? Not that like in in reality Native Americans or Aboriginal people are like actual like (laughs) the the terrible threats that they're portrayed as in films but like is that you know what could have happened to them or did they run away was this like a planned out thing? i mean you don't know like who knows what well yeah could have happened the here. other thing that it makes me think of is uh
3: the thing that you told me about before that the springfield three is that right
2: <laughs> well yeah but that's much more sinister and dark than yeah, this but, I think. no but
3: i'm just saying whatever actually happened if i found out what happened there I would be like, "Oh, that makes sense." But just given the details that we are given, I find it so like creepy and bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it's that but there, unresolved- I think with something
2: with with, th- with things that are actually See, you're ta- you're referencing a real life true crime story. I think things that are based in reality are there's always Unless you are truly, like, a person that believes Uh, in, like, the supernatural stuff. There's always a much more plausible answer. Like, with the Elisa Lamb thing, it's probably mental illness. With the Springfield 3, they were abducted and murdered. With this, none of those things seem all that plausible. You're just like, there is no plausible thing. Well, yeah,
3: I agree. But there's just something to a series of weird and
2: bizarre details and just the unknown around it that's unsettling. Yeah, and the genius thing here is, like we said, is that they present it in a way where you question and you think, like, well, is this real? Did this really happen? And when you put that spin on it, then it kind of, you kind of go, wait, what happened to these girls? Like, you Because it adds that whole thing of, like, well, wait a minute, if this really happened, then what the fuck? Like, where are they? And and so it's kind of like this interesting way of presenting it. Um, now this film went on to become like kind of a significant classic film it's it's uh usually on like all kinds of uh lists and and whatnot so i mean we've as we do as we tend to do on this show, we kind of go through it and and discuss it so it's possible that if you haven't seen it, you feel like it's spoiled or ruined or whatever. I think you know this is kind of like a an experience that as like a a viewer you need to have on your own i mean you can't really have this explained or ruined or spoiled for you it's kind of like uh it's kind of like if you never saw the mona lisa and then someone was like explaining it to you it's like well it's just a picture of a woman i mean honestly (laughs) you know what i mean like this is like it's a piece of art and it's like you like it love it hate it whatever indifferent to it you need to like it kind of experience it for yourself and i kind of hope that people might be inclined to go check this out
3: this like especially going through and watching some of the criterions and stuff some older movies are rough for me to get (laughs) into and like this one might start off you're like all right this looks kind of like old but there is something that I don't know. It draws you in and it's very like uniquely shot at times. The There's music is particularly
2: right. bizarre and yeah, haunting. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense. It, the music is it, it doesn't make any sense for it that to be Australian music cuz it's not and yet it fits perfectly. And it, it just, just works like magic.
3: It feels like it it feels like it's different right now. It feels like it had to be so different in 1975.
2: Oh yeah. Well, uh, I think in a weird way, and we've talked about this before. Like in the '60s and '70s, it seems like there was a lot more uh, artistic, experimental kind of films. filmmaking. Yeah, different envelope pushing films. Like, say what you will about like Polanski being a total creep, but I mean, <laughs> well, he was yeah. making kind of these, you know thought provoking deeply kind of almost feminist kind of films about character studies w- w- of women characters and kind of like feminists not really happy to hear his name on their side no obviously not but that yeah, yeah. i think that's the that's the thing right that's right. always the the contradiction with someone like him or like um a lot of the French and Italian filmmakers. And then, like, here's this random fucking movie coming out of Australia, of all places, which was really trying to get off the ground, like, uh, you know, a film community. And, like, this thing, you know, blew people's doors off. Because, like, Kubrick loved this film. Um, Like we already mentioned, it went on to be a huge influence on people like Lindelof and uh, Sofia Coppola. Would not be surprised to hear that David David Lynch really liked it. And in addition to all those people... American actress Chloe Savini has cited the film as an influence on her personal style. The biggest mystery is, what does that mean?
3: (laughs) Her personal style. Beyond just the way she dresses.
2: I love that sentence. Yeah, yeah. All right. um, Folks, we're out of time. Thank you for (laughs) listening. Uh, I really would hope that everyone will check this film out. Do we have anything else? I mean, it's kind of a... That was a big announcement you made at the beginning. Yeah, I meant anything else about Picnic and Hanging oh. Rock.
3: Oh, uh, no, I think we got it.
2: Yeah, um, I, I do like how you were like, these. a lot of these old films are rough for me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Some of them that we started, it's like, it's like really old, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be tough. I used to
2: be like that, and then I you know, grew up and yeah. opened my mind well, a little you know, bit more. I watched part of Caligula. <laughs> <laughs> that should not be rough. That yeah, should be fun and exciting. That's rough for other reasons. <laughs> you didn't like that weird eel like snake thing that the woman was holding and pretending was like a penis. All right. (laughs) Anyway, uh check out our future episode on Caligula. (laughs) Anyway. Um where you just
3: start like yelling to people to like watch movies. Watch Caligula. Watch go (laughs) see watch Twin Peaks. We'll (laughs) see you next week.
2: Uh our uh for those of you who are subscribed to the show, you'll know that we've brought back our Give Us a Second series uh, we did our first part on Twin Peaks: uh, The Return, so look out for some more of those, and of course, you know the regular episodes as well. And like as we, the big announcement at the beginning of the show, we'll be you know doing some listener request bonus episodes, yeah. and then of course, for longtime fans of our show, <laughs> they're they're already excited about this October coming oh, up. Oh yeah, another. What did we call it? The greatest October in the history of forever Not will the most be returning. Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, come on, branding. Yeah, exactly. We're branding. <laughs> yeah. So Bill's thanks for brand. listening. Follow the show on Twitter. Anything else, Matt? No, we're good. Before we head on out into this long good night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.
1: for a few minutes?
0: I'm sorry, Jerry. I just don't think this is gonna work. Really? I thought... I know. I'm sorry.
1: Gee, I just didn't expect it from the way you've been acting.
0: Are you sure you want to talk about this? Because I sure don't.
1: Of course I want to talk about it.
0: Okay. I guess things changed for me on Tuesday night.
1: Tuesday night? What happened Tuesday night?
0: I saw your act.
1: <laughs> my act? What, what does that have to do with anything?
0: Well, to be honest, it, it just didn't make it for me. It's just so much fluff. I can't believe it. So, so what are you saying? You didn't like my act? So that's it? I can't be with someone if I don't respect what they do. You're a cashier!